0: paradoxically if I can stay in the moment that I'm in do something to make a difference today and then let the rest go look for somebody to help look for someone to to love look for you know someone who needs a hug but right here in this moment I am okay and I have the ability to make a difference if I do something
1: welcome your majesty to the princess project podcast I'm your host, Cassidy Cagney, and I'm an L.A. Princess. For what is a princess if not a leader? And what is a leader if not someone who advocates for change? Here to empower, equip, and inspire our future feminine leaders. This kingdom welcomes royals of all kinds. So whether you're a prince or a princess, a king or a queen, or any royal in between, Put on your crown and pull up your seat, for the podcast is about to begin. Welcome, your majesty, to the Princess Project Podcast. I'm your host, Cassidy Cagney, and I'm an LA princess helping you to live your royal life. Today, I am joined by Jessica Craven, and I am just thrilled and so grateful to have her on the show. I'm going to keep this intro really brief for y'all because this episode is so juicy. We're going to be talking all about education, the different kinds of education, the different ways you can go about crafting your own education for your specific goals, whole bunch of stuff. So, if this is your first episode, you have caught us smack dab in the middle of the princess ship pathway. It is a three-phase process that helps you think about your life, the life you want, and sustaining the royal life that you have. Three steps to taking the leading role in your life. This week, we are talking about equipping ourselves with education so that we can be the type of leaders that we want to be. But before that, we have been talking about empowerment, how to empower yourself. That is the moment when you decide, yes, I can and yes, I will. There are three phases of the princess ship pathway and Everyone will start on a different phase, and you could be on different phases for different aspects of your life. So, if you have not already, go back and listen to the first episode of The Princess Ship Pathway. That is episode number 11. Episode 11 will give you a complete breakdown of each phase, so you can figure out which phase you're on for whatever you want to focus on while we're on this Princess Ship Pathway. And then go back and listen to the three steps. They all build upon each other. And like I said, in all the different parts of your life, you could be on a different phase during the princess ship pathway. So it's really good to know all three, but you got to start at the beginning. So go back to episode 11, find your phase, and then come back to this episode. First, you decide I can and I will. And in the equip stage, we are figuring out how we are going to get there. How are we going to prepare for the future leadership challenges that we know we're going to face? So go back and listen to episodes eleven through fourteen to get all caught up. To get all caught up on the princess ship pathway, come back to this episode for our beautiful example of a well-equipped leader. She is a progressive activist and content creator who has made it her mission to get regular people more involved with politics at both a federal and a local level. She is a brilliant communicator, a dedicated team member, and a wonderful role model for what it means to be a leader. She is the 2021 recipient of the Democrat of the Year Award issued by the Los Angeles County Democratic Party. I know, I know, I know. She's also an elected member of the L.A. County Democratic Party Central Committee. She's the author of Chop Wood, Carry Water, which is a daily actions email. And she is a member of the, I believe it's pronounced CADM, Environmental Caucus. She's also a legislative lead for her chapter of Moms Demand Action. And she herself has knocked on doors, phone banged, fundraised, texted, and even postcarded for hundreds of progressive candidates. She also conducts Activism 101 workshops for groups all over the country. And she's also a TikTok creator. She has 95,000 followers, and she's made hundreds of videos explaining civics and giving her followers an easy way to engage in the political process. I have been following her on social media for at least the last year, maybe even two, and I am so grateful to have her on the show. I admire her so much as a person, her boldness and her compassion as a leader, and I just simply can't wait to introduce you to her. You know that I am a huge fan of everyone I have on my podcast, and I gotta say, Jessica Craven is is such a role model for me, and she inspires me to be the kind of leader that I want to be. And that's really funny now that I think about it. You are going to hear so much of that in the episode. So without any further ado, I hope that this conversation empowers you, equips you with some new information, education, and inspires you to be the kind of leader you want to be. And with that, it is my honor to introduce you to Jessica Craven. Hi Jessica, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Oh my goodness. You have no idea like what it means to me to hear you say that because I am such a huge fan of yours. You are someone that I look up to. uh, I just cannot say enough. You are a huge role model for me. I follow everything you do. I love your newsletter. I love your social media. (laughs) And I just think that you are an all around rock star and your history is so juicy You've had so many life experiences that are like a conglomerate of beautiful things. So I thought you'd be a wonderful person to talk to about education. And I'm babbling because I'm nervous and I'm your biggest fan.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. You're so cute. Well, you can be you can relax. I'm the least scary person, I think, in the world. I would like to think anyway.
1: I've been following you on social media for, I think, about like a year Like maybe more than a year. Um, Mm -hmm. But for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your passions and your goals?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, let's see. I am on. So I guess Cassidy found me on TikTok. So I do a lot of work over on TikTok at uh, Jess Craven 101. Uh, And that actually grew out of something I was doing before that, which was teaching workshops called Activism 101. Um, and th- so I called the the TikTok handle Jess Craven 101, because I already had these workshops that I did quite a lot of uh, in the build up to the 2020 elections. And I also have done quite a lot of them this year. And they're basically one hour free webinars where I teach people how to help uh, affect the outcome of elections. Um but I also have a newsletter, which has been coming out five days a week since uh, Trump was elected. Incredible. It's called Chop- yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's very I'm very tired all the time. Um, it's uh, it's called Chop Wood Carry Water. And what I try to do there is give people about five minutes worth of easy actions they can take just to sort of engage in their democracy and help us get the outcomes that we all want, or at least all of us on this team want. So, yeah, those are most of the things I do. And then I actually spend a lot of time doing the activism. I I spend a lot of time canvassing. I'm going canvassing tomorrow, as a matter of fact. A lot of time phone banking. Um, Doing fundraisers for candidates. uh, Everything. Postcarding. I I have a huge postcarding hub at my house. I Probably we've done 40,000 postcards in the last couple of months. So this is just the kind of thing that I do. So I'm an organizer. I'm an activist. And I try to teach as well.
1: Oh, yeah. You are a fabulous teacher fabulous oh, teacher. I am a teacher myself. I work oh, wow. in education. I'm in uh I have my last teacher test to pass and then I'll have my English credential for California. But you are such a natural, a naturally gifted speaker in a way that is very accessible to anyone. That comes through in your writing. In your speaking, um, and certainly all of your social media. Oh, thank you! Wow, thank you! I'm so excited to have you on. I just can't believe I can't believe you're on the show. It's it's so crazy <laughs> to me. Uh oh, my gosh, <laughs> I was so nervous, and I was
0: I've been telling my students about you all week. Oh, well, week. Hold on. I'm so sorry, Cassidy. Uh, my my child is interrupting me. I really no worries. Apologize. No okay. worries. I'm really sorry about that. I Don't hope you worry at all. Out. I apologize. It is all um, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm also a mom. It's sort of a, it's a big part of what I do. And, you know, it's I have a 12 year old, so they're.
1: Absolutely. They're, when, yeah. I mean, this is a space for women and femme present- presenting folks, right? So yeah. it also needs to include moms and thereby include children.
0: You know, yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And and my uh, child identifies as non-binary. So I appreciate your saying, you know, all of the being so inclusive and who's welcome here. And uh, and my kid was actually very excited that I was coming on this podcast and was very supportive about it. And uh yeah, so so wait, you were telling your students about me all week? This is hilarious. Week, I have to hear man. about this all
1: week. Um, every day I was like, Oh, a couple more days, it's almost Friday. I get to talk to Jessica. I teach right now. I'm in high school. So they're really, um, they're with it. They might not outwardly show what that they know what's going on, but nothing actually goes over their head.
0: Sure. Right. Of course.
1: Yeah. I definitely make this show. Um, I like, I try to think about kids in high school and then beyond, as who I would like to to make this show for and I've had a couple of students when I felt really down come up to me and be like when's your next episode I'm waiting for it and that's why we're still here which is wonderful um it is about women in leadership right so in the past like couple two weeks we've been talking about equip equip is a um pillar of the podcast and talking about equipping ourselves specifically with education. And so we've been talking about different avenues where we could learn. And since your life's experience is so varied and so rich, your little leadership skills are just extraordinary. So when we talk about education, how would you define education? Like um it doesn't have to be exactly school, but when you're talking about a person's education, knowledge, or accumulation of goods, <laughs> like in their yeah. back pocket, uh, how would you define education?
0: Well, what the, the, a, a huge uh, uh, trait that I find important to have uh, is curiosity, is to constantly wonder um what 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 is that like what is that like what does that mean what is that called you know what has that person's experience been like um so that is you know the reason that I am a somewhat educated person today and I consider myself to be far less educated than many I know um but it's because I got curious actually more in my adulthood i i, I am a late bloomer and i am someone who spent a lot of my high school years being sort of um Distracted, shall we say, to put it uh, mysteriously, I, I wasn't super focused on my studies, and uh, it was in my twenties that I suddenly discovered like I had a brain, and it really was enjoyable to use it, and I started getting curious, and as I got curious, I, uh, you know, gave myself almost like lesson blocks where I would learn everything I could about human evolution, and then everything about the history of Jesus Christ. I don't know why that was interesting to me at one point, and everything about I got very interested in ancient history and um and still am uh different civilizations uh you know ancient civilizations just everything uh and and as i've gotten more involved in politics um i've gotten obviously with everything that's happened in the last few years and as i've i've delved more into sort of um social justice movements i've gotten extremely interested in what you know the experience has been for more marginalized communities in our country particularly um so, I read a great deal of, you know, I try to read a lot of Black authors. I try to read a lot of authors, uh, you know, BIPOC authors, AAPI authors. I, I just, um, I, I've been really on sort of a reading jag recently. Um, you know, I try to learn as much as I can about history from both sort of like a novel perspective, fictional perspective, and then also from nonfiction. So, education to me is a, is a desire to constantly be learning because it makes you a better person. It makes you a more empathetic person and it makes you a more effective person. Mm. Um, And and also I think education is, um, is is the opposite of self-centeredness. You know, if I'm thinking about myself all the time, I'm not really interested in what's happening in the world, what's happening to people around me. If I am trying to sort of think about other people and serve other people and, and be other focused, then I start to wonder uh, again, you know, what is what is that bird? Why is that? You know, why? How did that mountain get created? What? You know, why? What is that person's experience like? What? You know, so what don't I know about being unhoused that I should learn, you know, things like that. So we, we I find that it's a it's a curiosity. It's a trying not to be a selfish person, trying to think about what other people's experiences are and what is out there around me in the world, which instantly also makes me a much happier person. There's a, there is a uh, happiness for me I find in in trying to sort of um, engage myself with with other people and and what what they need and what what can help them. That's actually um, that's brought me quite a lot of joy and peace. A- and how can I help? Um, not so much fighting the bad guys as looking for the good guys or you know good people that, and then helping them?
1: Yeah, uh, your newsletter yeah. makes that so clear. You mm. always make a point to celebrate the victories and talk about people who have made who have made significant accomplishments. You just got done helping in the election of oh, I forget his name. Eunicis Hernandez. So
0: he he really was sure. like a
1: major environmentalist, and he's in the town next to you. Was oh, that right? Right,
0: Dan Brotman. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Dan Brotman was actually twenty 2020- twenty. But I talked about it because I had just recently got an email from him and I was celebrating the fact that these local elections, yeah, I've worked on a lot of local elections because I've found that there's actually a great deal more satisfaction in them. Because when we get people into office who have the priorities that we have, we get to watch the impacts on ourselves. Like, mm. oh, my my air will be cleaner because that guy is in office. And Aunesis, the the woman I helped um, get elected to my city council seat. Like I'm sure you've heard about the whole LA city council scandal oh, that happened. Yeah, this week. well, for of those of you who in- don't know,
1: our our city council, um, a number of them, like two or three of them, uh, were recorded saying incredibly disgusting, racist things, um, in a, in what they thought was going to be a private conversation, which we all now heard. So we really get. An insider into who they actually are and how they actually think, which is not okay for someone in office. Yeah.
0: And and, right. So, very vile. They were also sort of conspiring to gerrymander their districts in such a way that they could never be voted out. And Uh, one of those people is my city council member. And the great news is, is that we have been, we've known for a long time, he was no good. And so we primaried him, meaning we. A lot of people in this district looked around for someone who could run against him and win. And we found, I don't want to say I found her, some they, she was found and we all jumped in to support her. And so she ran against him and she won her race in March. So he's out in December anyway. And that nice. is amazing news for us in this district that like we, he is refusing to resign, but he's out on December 31st. And that's um, incredible. That's the the benefit of our hard work. And that's
1: progress you can see, like you were just saying, since it's your city councilman and you're in the know, things don't have to seem so bad all the time. Because if you if you look at it from a bird's eye view all the time, only looking at things like the presidency or anything like that on a really large scale, at least personally, I definitely understand what it's like to get discouraged. Oh, yeah. Celebrating the wins. Uh, keeps you from being discouraged, right? Yeah. And then the people you meet along the way the only time I've ever met people in my neighborhood was um protesting after the overturning of Roe v. Wade.
0: Yeah, and I made yeah. friends. Yeah, you'll yeah.
1: actually find people who are similar to you and will support you, um, in the ways you're looking to be supported.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and it's, an, I mean, the whole reason I do what I do is because if I don't do this, I'm going to end up in, a, I just made a TikTok about this. I haven't uh, dropped it yet, but about how do we deal with despair? And the way I deal with it is I do something. And that is, you know, I, I used to say in my newsletter all the time, like hope is an action. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't sit around waiting to feel hopeful and then do something. I have to do something to feel hopeful. And that's why those of us who are activists, who are busy, you know, doing the work, writing postcards, or whatever it is, canvassing, you tend to find those people to be a lot less despairing. And they're a lot less cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, because cynicism really is just an excuse to not do anything, right? I mean, if I'm a cynical person, I just then I just get to not do anything. Um, yeah, you I, have I an not, excuse. In, right? I did not invent that thought, by the way, that that is a, I've heard other uh, great activists say similar things that like, it's very easy to be cynical because then you get to sit on the couch and watch netflix and just say the world sucks and it's never going to get any better Mm -hmm. and if you're sort of like a blind optimist that's not great either because then you're just saying oh everything's going to be fine i don't have to do anything it's sort of finding this middle area where i go yeah things are really bad but i can also see that victories are possible when i work for them and i have to work for them i have to like we all can contribute our little bit and that doesn't mean any one person is going to save the world it means every single one of us needs to get in there and chip in mm.
1: a little bit
0: to a very large effort um and when we all chip in a little bit that's how we win and that's why the newsletter is called chop wood carry water by the way because that's actually an old buddhist saying um oh. and it, it, it yeah it actually um i think the entire saying goes before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water but it just basically means you know do the next right thing in front of you that that that's what life is is just doing these these small important actions and um i have used that saying for a really long time in my life to get through difficult times and so when donald trump was elected it was the first thing that came to my mind how are we going to get through this well i guess we're going to chop wood carry water we're going to just keep taking actions look for the next right thing to do. And as I did that, I realized, oh, I'm doing better than most of the people around me. And that's mm. because I'm doing stuff. And so as I encouraged more and more people to take actions, people started saying, wow, you know what, when I make these calls, I actually feel better. When I..." And, and so that's how the newsletter grew and grew and grew, was just people wanting to feel better and realizing that when they took a few right actions, they did. And so that's the great bonus of signing up for my newsletter is that you'll <laughs> actually feel better at the end of the day because instead of just going like, oh, it's all so bad and I don't know where to start, you, you've you done your little bit for the day. Mm-hmm. And so you can go to bed knowing like I have done what I could for this day.
1: It is a great place to start. Let me tell
0: you. Let me tell you what the impact <laughs>
1: your newsletter has had on me. Okay. So It's great in education when you are an avid reader, like you are yourself, you said. Personally, I have a learning disability and I cannot read well. It takes me forever, but it is also incredibly labor intensive. I will be exhausted as if I just ran two miles. So your newsletter is distilled into... You know, it takes you about five minutes to read, but I get all the information I need. And so for people like me who I just can't spend that time reading so much, Mm
0: -hmm. it is
1: a beautiful place to start and open the door, especially because I believe you to be a very trustworthy leader like Monday through Friday since 2016. (laughs) That consistency yeah. is something that also makes you a reliable leader.
0: Well, thank, you. thank you. Speaking, Speaking of, of you being a leader. Like that, but, yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, what if one day you just decided, oh, I'm just going to go on a vacation and, and not post for a week. And you didn't tell anybody that you were going to do that. People who follow who might be expecting something not receiving it, it puts a little doubt in people's mind. So we need leaders who are not only um, not only passionate, but consistent for a mm. level of trust between, between people. Like even when it goes to senators or people who hold um, season city council, um, having an idea of how you think they probably will vote so mm. people who are strong in their convictions, I will trust that they will hold up their word if they're more consistent about it.
0: Mm. That is a very good point. Uh, that That is true. And I feel the same way. I mean, it it doesn't take much to sow doubt. I mean, if, if a lawmaker lets us down once or twice, that's enough for a lot mm-hmm. of us to just be like, you know what? No, <laughs> I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> and then you have someone like, I don't know, I mean, uh, Bernie Sanders, who I don't think is perfect, but like has been really pretty consistent yes. in his in his standing with like the regular people and sort of defending workers and defending you know lower income americans and you just sort of feel like this guy does actually really show up like whatever his flaws are he is consistently on the side of the people and that's why he's got such devoted following
1: absolutely so i feel that
0: way about aoc as well i love her and i think there's a, a number of lawmakers who have shown that consistency but not all of them.
1: <laughs> you do, though. And oh, speaking you. of you as a leader, when would you say that you knew you were a leader? You were taught, You mentioned before that you were a little bit of a late bloomer, you considered yourself. So do you remember that time in your life or maybe was it even one
0: specific moment where you realized, I can do this? That is an excellent question. And I will tell you that I did not ever think of myself as a leader until after Donald Trump was elected. And that is, I mean, I have, I have, um, I've always known I was a fairly strong personality, but I never needed to be a leader until Donald Trump was elected. And this is something I like to tell people when they're like struggling with what they're going to do with their life or who am I supposed to be? I didn't even find myself until I was 48 years old. I, 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 was perfectly functional and did great things. And I was in bands and did all kinds of fun things, but it wasn't until Donald Trump was elected. One of the worst things that's ever happened in my lifetime that I found the thing I was put on this earth to do. And I just share that to say that if you're someone who happens to also be a late bloomer, don't quit before the miracle, because Mm. I found this thing I was put here to do, but I couldn't have found it until the moment that it became necessary. So I recognize myself as a leader of sorts. Now. I don't know when that happened. I, I, that's a very great question. I mean, slowly over time. And, uh, sometimes I think you don't realize about yourself and then one day you wake up and you go, I guess a lot of people are looking to me. Mm. Um, that's a, that is something I never foresaw, but I, I never even meant to go on TikTok, let alone, like, get a following on TikTok. That was totally accidental, yes. Not meant to happen. I didn't even, I don't really watch TikTok. Um, I had a friend who was on TikTok who likes to watch it, and she and I were doing video chats together, and she was like, you need to go on TikTok and just talk to people there the way you're talking to me, because I would explain political things to her. She wasn't very involved. And I was like, well, that seems crazy. And I did it, and you know, just to try to find people who wanted to phone bank for Joe Biden before the elections. And mm-hmm. it just, I found that people wanted to hear. And, and so I guess that's more of what I'm saying is that leadership sometimes is something that finds you. Like mm-hmm. I have been open to it, but I certainly didn't ever seek it. Um, sometimes you get placed in a situation where suddenly you have information that other people want and the ability to share it with them and you were never looking to be a TikTok influencer or, you know, uh, the author of a newsletter that, you know, has been going on for five years when all of the other newsletters petered out after Trump got voted out. You know, that's like, true. those None, nothing that I do was in my plan. Nothing that I do. So I guess I just say all of that to say that sometimes, you know, your destiny finds you. And that's what's happened in my case.
1: That's really interesting. Uh, you so with that, though, your educational experience uh, did prepare you in a lot of ways. Like um, you do have an a background in being a performer. Right. So that has taken you um, so far because you know how to talk to people and you're not afraid to be in front of a crowd. Um, so what was your educational experience like um, through? Uh, all through that time uh, up until 2016.
0: So that's a great question. And my background is super weird. Like I have done a variety of things. I, um, I did sing in bands for a really long time. And yes, that did get me to a point where I was extremely comfortable um, in front of audiences because I did that for, you know, a, a good part of my young life. I, I was the lead singer in a band. And then I was in a band with my sisters called the Chapin sisters for a number of years and we got, you know, some small notoriety. So we got used to performing around and my stepfather is a performer. His name is Tom Chapin and the Chapin family in general are sort of folk singers who, you know, they've been performing forever. So there's performers all over my family. And so, and they're critiquers too. Like they'll critique your performance. And uh, I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from my stepfather about just sort of, you know, talking to people without hiding and without apologizing, just sort of being who you are. And um, I learned a lot from him. And then on the other side, you know, my dad was a filmmaker, which I don't talk about a lot, but he was a fairly well-known filmmaker. Um, Mm. So he sort of also was in the world of you know creativity. And like, that was sort of where I thought I would end up, right? Like for Mm. a while I thought I would be an actor and then I was on stage. And for a while I wanted to screenwrite. And I didn't end up doing any of those things, but it all informed what I've become. So I honed my writing skills and I and I did learn how to sort of to a certain extent perform. I'm not a very good actor, but terrible, in fact, but that's OK. I don't believe um, you. To, well, yeah, <laughs> that's OK. It, we can we can agree to disagree on that. It's never really been put to the test, but I, I don't think that was what I was meant to do. I, I I can get up in front of an audience and be fairly comfortable I also worked in sales for a really long time and it, like very unlikely sales, sales of things. I don't even care about. I worked <laughs> uh, for a, a high end jewelry company for a long time and I don't even wear jewelry as anybody who me watches neither. me on TikTok knows I wear the same necklace every day. I don't change my jewelry, but I did that cause I needed to make a living and that was where I could get a job. I got mm-hmm. a job in retail, but it, interestingly, they, that job um, taught me a lot about, um, clienteling and about you know not sales but how to present in a way that i don't even know how to really explain the connection but it's just to say that everything i have done prepared me for the moment where i came in to do the thing that i am clearly meant to be doing so again that speaks to education you know i went to northwestern university i learned a lot there i had a good education but that's not where i learned the stuff that was really important, you know, life brings you an education. And if you're willing to sort of pay attention and become good at whatever you're set to do, I worked in retail, nobody envied my job. Nobody was like, Oh, how cool. She works in retail, but I did it well. Like I showed mm-hmm. up on time. I, I worked really hard and I did my job. Well, I, I paid attention at the job trainings and I, I, I learned those skills well. And, and if you do that in your life, I think you find that skills are transferable, you know, sales skills are transferable, dealing with people and dealing with the public, um, defusing a situation where someone you're dealing with is not happy. Those are things that are transferable skills. Mm -hmm. Um, the sales skills I learned, I use when I canvas, you know, I use them when I phone bank, the communication skills I learned at that time I, I use in my phone banking, the writing skills I use in my newsletter. So everything kind of comes around and is used again it's a beautiful sort of existential recycling that we can do Mm. if we're willing to learn and grow and pay attention and um and have some humility to be like okay well i'm working at a retail uh chain store i'm gonna try to be the best at that that i can be and um and if this is what i'm meant to do then this is what i'll do but then it turned out that wasn't what i was meant to do forever but i was able to sort of you know pivot off of that and do the thing that I'm doing now. So
1: what I'm hearing from that is that almost nothing is a waste of time. Whatever you're doing right now is worth learning how to do well, worth giving the effort to in the first place. Correct. Um, As a substitute teacher, I see a lack of effort so, so much with um, the young kids right now. And it's really scary. Um, I think that it is another version of perfectionism. Like, I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly. So why try? Why spend the time or the energy, um, trying it at all? But like you were saying, it is transferable. So whatever you got right now, do it well and it'll pay off
0: later. Yeah, I agree. And, And also like failure is... Some of the most important things I've learned in life, I've learned from failures, you know? I had a marriage that failed. Um, I tried to do a podcast. I don't want to say that it failed, but like it didn't take off the way I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. I tried being a screenwriter. I was actually really good at that. But like ultimately that sort of failed to take off. I couldn't act, like I thought that my destiny was to be a rock star at one point and I failed at that. But like all of those failures, became part of who I am now. So the failures, you learn your strengths, you learn what you are and are not good at. And you take lessons from them to help strengthen people later. When my marriage failed, I fell apart completely. Like I did not handle it well. But that was when I learned the phrase chop wood, carry water from my dad. And that was what got me through that divorce. So that when we entered this terrible period, and a bunch of people said, Oh, my God, what are we going to do I was able to say, you know what? I've been through very, really bad pain. I have been Uh through some terrible stuff and I know how I got through it and I'm gonna try to share that with you. So if I had not been through that pain and through that failure, I would not have had the tools I needed to be of service in this moment right now. I know what it's like to feel so afraid that things are not gonna be okay ever again. And I've lived through periods like that before. And so that is something I can now turn around and say to other people like I know what it feels like to feel like there's no hope for the future and yet I also know that if we chop wood carry water and keep taking action the future does tend to um, return to us in a much more um, benevolent way than we think it's going to if we put in that little bit of work and don't give up The not that giving is beautiful. up is key no thank you
1: tell me more about that phrase you just uh, said the future coming back to us Um, I thought, I thought that was really beautiful and thought provoking the future coming back to us in a more benevolent, benevolent way. Would you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that?
0: Well, sure. I mean, I just literally, uh, that just was something I just thought of and said, but what I mean, what I mean by that though, it really is just that there are times I think that we feel like we have no future, um, that there is no hope and, I think that we are wrong more often than we are right. In fact, I think we are generally almost always wrong. Um, And this is maybe where the saying, where there's life, there's hope comes from, is that Mm. generally when we say that things are hopeless, it's because we haven't played the story out far enough. Things can be very dire in the short term, but it doesn't mean that they can't eventually be mended. So I think that there are lots of people right now who feel despair over the future because first they think they know how the future is gonna play out. Second, they feel that they don't have any agency. They don't have any way to get through it because they're thinking about how do I like fix it in the long term, And uh, because we think that um, the future is sort of foreordained. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, is we don't know what the future holds. We do have agency every single action we take bends the future a little bit and we have a tremendous amount of power. So, and, and for me also, like when I start getting into the future, that's when I feel the most despair. So Mm -hmm. bringing the future back sort of just means like back into this, in a certain sense, it's back into this moment. I can trust that the future is going to be okay. uh, Sort of paradoxically, if I can stay in the moment that I'm in, do something to make a difference today and then let the rest go. Look for somebody to help. Look for someone to to love. Look for, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who needs a hug. It it sounds trite, but it's a design for living that has actually worked extremely well for me. Mm -hmm. I get scared when I think about, oh my God, 20 years down the line, like, oh, oh, but right here in this moment, I am okay. And I have the ability to make a difference if I do something. And in a weird way, that attitude returns the future to me as something that is unknown but possibly benevolent, not definitely gloom and doom. Mm. Entirely within my control to make a difference in. Um,
1: you have the possibilities now because you yep. did it today. So the possibility is there tomorrow.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and is, you know, this idea that the future is doomed is um, very bad for us because it makes people curl up and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And again, it returns me to that idea of cynicism of right. when we, when we've given up on the future because, Oh, it's all going to go to hell. Well, then we're not going to do anything in, in the day that we're in. And so then the future will go to hell, you know? Right. Um, do you see I, a
1: difference between pessimism and cynicism?
0: That is a great question. Um, you're, you're, you're a wonderful, uh, interviewer <laughs> there. The, I think that pessimism Uh, I think is, is you can sort of have pessimism and still take action, right? Like you can say, well, I'm pessimistic about whatever the midterms, but I'm still going to work really hard as if I'm not pessimistic. Mm. I I don't love, I don't love pessimism, but you know, there's a place for it. I suppose cynicism to me is more toxic. It goes the further step. It sort of says, I know nothing is going to be okay. And you should know it too. So cynicism sort of tries to take other people down with it. It's a very toxic power. Um, It's like a black cloud that envelops everyone around it. So pessimism is one thing. You can sort of be pessimistic, but still take positive action. Cynicism for me, like cynical people are my least favorite kinds of people. (laughs) I cannot stand being around cynicism because behind it, I think it's just cowardice. It's just... I don't want to do anything. I don't want to try to make things better. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to poison the well for everybody. And that is what cynicism to me is just poisoning the well. Mm -hmm. It's just, and and the truth is, we all need to drink out of that well, like it or not. So poisoning the well is like the most negative thing you can do.
1: Speaking of people making an impact on each other, right? Influencing each other. What would you say is the value in traditional education in today's globalized world, because at least when I was going through it, I very much felt pressured, as if there was no other option for me, as if there was no possibility at an education, at an education, unless I went to college. So, what are your views on like pursue perfu- What? Oh, see, I'm still nervous. Half an hour later, still <laughs> nervous. be nervous. <laughs> what are your views on pursuing a formal education? these days at like a university
0: or a college? That's such a great question. I mean, I'm watching uh, my nephew go through the college admissions process right now. And, and you know, it is really, it seems really, really stressful. And Oh, man. Yeah. No, it sounds awful. And I mean, it is, it is, I know that colleges are just more competitive than ever and they're insanely expensive and It's a great question. I mean, I think that, you know, I I think we still live in a system where a college degree is going to give you a certain amount of opportunity that not having one may not provide. But it also does. I think we are in a time of great transformation, Mm. and I think that it will be interesting to see what happens over the next five to 10 years, because it does feel like the college experience as it is currently constituted is not possible for it's just too hard to get into it's too expensive i would love to see free college you know for everyone i think that public universities are are a great i mean an educated populace is just a better mm-hmm. armed you know that it's just better right so like education for me is an inherent good i love education but does it need to come in that package i mean i don't think so but you know i still I mean, I would give anything to go to college now. So it's all it really is sort of a matter also of whether you're ready. Like at the time that I Mm. went to college, I was once again using the euphemism, extremely distracted. Um, I had a lot of addiction problems when I was young. So and I'm not at at all shy about talking about it. So I was not uh, focusing on education. Were I to go now, were I to have gone in my 30s? I would have devoured it. Like the mm. idea of just getting to be somewhere where you can study the things you're interested in in depth with really capable professors sounds amazing. Um, but you you got to be there. You got to be in the headspace if you're doing it because you want to get the right job. I mean, I've never understood that kind of career path. That's never been me. Obviously, like I almost took a job as a mounted park ranger when I was in my 30s. Like I just
1: that's so I, cool. That's a whole other story.
0: <laughs> but like. I really have done a lot of different things, and my career trajectory, such as it is, makes no sense, mm-hmm. and I could never have designed it, um, but I'm glad I have the education that I do. I, I don't know, though. I mean, I think that there's probably a lot of value to doing a lot of different things, and, and probably many of them don't travel through a uh, university, so I don't know if that answers the question. I What I value is education. I think there's lots of different ways to get education. Um, right by, now... You
1: know, I'm experiencing a lot of anger with the whole becoming a teacher thing and just how much debt I'm in. And I swear, there's always $150 to pay again to someone again. There's always one more fee. And at least where I'm at in my life right now, that is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And I get really angry um, when I think about how colleges and universities operate in a large part as a business and as yeah. a profit system, yeah. while at the same time, considering other opportunities besides going to college right away after high school, it's almost like it's predetermined for students now that I'm seeing. I'm going to college or I'm not, and... There's not a whole lot of conversation that goes on between the two. And obviously, the ones who say I'm going are going to come from more privilege than those who who uh, decide early on that they won't, right? So right. when I think about, about that and how much money I know that they're trying to make off of me, as someone who does have $60,000 of student debt, and I'm not even a teacher yet, like I can't even get that job yet. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that as, as uh,
0: universities and money? <laughs> I think we need a lot more student loan forgiveness. That's for sure. I mean, when I hear stories like that, I'm just like, that is outrageous. It makes me so <laughs> mad. Um, d- does the Biden student loan forgiveness not help you at all? It will. It will. Okay. I
1: am signed up with email alerts and I got um, like updates and all that stuff. The second it hits the internet waves, I will be there. Thank Good. goodness. And I'm I'm going to be receiving the $10,000 one.
0: Right. Sure. Which
1: is, you know, lovely. Right. But it's still a problem that's in the back of my mind at all times. Yeah. It wasn't as absolutely. of a forgiveness for me to just be totally secure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, hey, it's something, and that was that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, Like, take the yeah. little
1: wins, like you were saying,
0: right, right. You take the little wins, and I think I'm hoping there are also provisions in there that will make so your payments are more affordable. I mean, I think there are different things that they've done that will hopefully help you in more than just that way. Um, it's a pretty uh, beautifully sort of crafted deal. um, But yeah, the, the problem remains. And and I don't, yeah, who wants to incur that kind of debt? It's ridiculous. I mean, our teachers should be getting educated for free as far as I'm concerned. Anybody who's nice. gonna, it, anyone who's going to turn around and serve the public should be given a free education. Like that to me is just a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can afford how many billions of dollars every year in military aid. We can afford to educate the people who are going to be educating our kids. Like that should be I mean, believe me, I this is the kind of thing that keeps me working to elect progressives because progressives uh-huh. actually believe this kind of thing. And, you know, Republicans say, oh, it's ridiculous. It's socialism. Bull. It's not. So, it's such bull. It's just a <laughs> total pile of malarkey. Uh, you know, tax cuts for rich people are socialism for rich people. Like, it just depends who you're going to be giving money to. Uh-huh. Um, let's give it to people who are serving our people, you know, Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry on your behalf. If I had $50,000, I would give it to you right now to <laughs> pay off your debts. I mean, I know that wouldn't solve the larger problem, but it, it is it's uh, it's frustrating. And one one hope I have is that if Biden gets another, you know, if we can hold the Congress for a while, I know he's not done with student debt forgiveness. I know he wants to do more. um, And I believe that he will. And I believe that Congress will. I know that Democrats want that really badly. They wanted $50,000. Mm-hmm. um. So you know, don't give up. Again, these are what this is why we work. This is why I get up every morning and go. I'm so tired, and then I just power down some strong tea and do another day of work because there's a lot of people like you who deserve help.
1: Oh, thanks. What kind of tea do you like?
0: I do very strong, very strong. I make a, an Assam Earl Grey Earl Grey uh, blend loose tea. Mm,
1: beautiful. I don't do
0: I don't do tea bags. It's not my thing. I do very strong loose tea. And uh, it's probably as strong as, if not more strong, uh, than the the average person's coffee. So,
1: ooh, good to know. Have to mm-hmm. take note of that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's very good,
1: my friend. So, so Biden wants to do more. Yes, the progressive and the de- the progressives and the Democrats want to do more. But doing that work, like it all goes back down to us, like you said, doing those little things to elect the right people in your in your area where you can make an influence that ripple effect will continue to benefit not just only you since it gets to a certain point and you elect people who then have more power than you might but you will continue to see the rewards from that
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. I mean, look at even just in California, right? So we've got Gavin Newsom as a governor. I have my issues with Gavin Newsom. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. However, he's been signing a lot of really progressive policies into uh, law. And one of the things he's trying to do right now is to give people money to cover some of their gas expenses. And because California has been run you know, very well, we have budget surplus, he can do that. People in other states can say whatever they want about California. We have a huge budget surplus and he's going to give some of it back to us to cover gas expenses. That is something that is not going to happen in another state where the governors, first of all, are generally not operating on a surplus and would never think to like turn around and give money back to the people. So state legislatures, governors, these things make an enormous difference. I mean, no one can take away every problem of every person but there are lawmakers who are genuinely thinking about ways to make people's lives easier. And there are lawmakers who are genuinely just trying to consolidate their own power. And it's not always as simple as, Oh, Republicans or Democrats. Cause look at the, the Democrats who just said and did these horrible yeah. things here in Los Angeles. There are terrible Democrats out there. I spend a lot of my time trying to get them out of office. Um, but that's why we, we look for the lawmakers who seem like they actually care and then mm-hmm. we support them so they can maybe start as a city council member, but maybe then run for state assembly and then maybe run for lieutenant governor. And then, you know, one day they're the governor in your state and they're making decisions that can help you, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. They say they say if you want to make a difference, run for something or like you want to change then run. I was wondering, do you have to start at that uh, like more minor level? Or could you skip a couple things and get, like, a top-notch position? Like, do you need to be city council member first in order to qualify to run for office? Are there any things that make you qualified or you have to reach to run for office?
0: I mean, to be honest, I'm sure you've done some research into this. But, you know, most uh, female-identifying people uh, need to be asked to run for office, like, nine times because they think that they are unqualified. Most men need to be asked one time. So, women, female identifying people, spend a lot more time worrying about am I qualified than men do? Men never worry about that, almost never. I mean, I, I, you know, and you see men run for office all around us. I could name several off the top of my head who are just failing upwards, you know, Mm -hmm. and they can because they're generally white, they're generally cis, they've got, you know, usually parents who either have money or are already in politics and they're just, you know, following the legacy along. So in answer to your question, I mean, there's no set formula like there was in, in, uh, in ancient Rome. They had a set formula. You had to go through certain steps. You know, we don't have that here. Um, when I decided I sort of wanted to be in the political sphere, someone recommended that I run for neighborhood um, uh, council. And that was the first thing I did. I served on the Arroyo Seco Neighborhood Council here in my neighborhood mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And it was great. It's not to say I couldn't have started by running for something bigger but it was an incredible sort of basic education and like making change in your neighborhood mm-hmm. and how, you know, Robert's Rules of Orders work and how, you know, what it was like to go and table at an event and and what it was like to stuff backpacks for kids who, you know, uh, did, did, are less fortunate and, and didn't have backpacks. Those kinds of things, you start to see people doing service on their community level and then you can take that experience and sort of build up. So I'm not sure that I really am a person who wants to run for office. I think I'm pretty comfortable doing what I do. But I think it is the the common experience seems to be that like starting a little, you know, starting with a maybe a city council run or, you know, I don't know a local um, race and then working your way up is effective. I mean, John Fetterman started out as a mayor. P.S. He won his election for mayor in his small town by one vote, (gasps) by one vote. And then he was mayor in that town for quite a long time. And then he ran for lieutenant governor. And then, you know, and now he's running for Senate. Like he'll probably run for president someday. If, you know, who knows, but it's very possible. Um, so everybody's got a different path. I think that, you know, we look for an opportunity where we can find it. I went to the, the neighborhood council and they had a space and I applied for it and I got it. So I think different people try different things probably it is best for us not to immediately shoot for running for Senate, but you look at someone like Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a community organizer, then he was a state senator, and then he ran for president. Like, that was kind of his trajectory. I think I'm not forgetting anything. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. Like, he did not have a lot of experience. I think what people are looking for more than they're looking for experience is leadership, the ability to communicate, the ability to connect with people Mm -hmm. someone who actually cares someone who has done organizing um so i don't think there's a set formula but i think there are a lot of resources out there for women for female identifying people for young people who want to run for office um and more starting all the time the most important thing is if there is any part of you that thinks you want to run for office do it start working towards it know that you are qualified enough because i guarantee you you are more qualified now You. Cassidy are more qualified now than some of the people running in the city for office who are on the ballot right now I mean honestly so um if it's something you want to do start to pursue it I highly encourage it
1: you you are someone who makes me want to you are someone who makes me want to and since following you I every time I, I read your newsletter, I want to a little more. Every time I see a video on your um, TikTok, I want to a little more. And access is so much more achievable than people assume, right? Mm -hmm. Assumption can really kill an education. Assumption can kill anyone's education. Assuming, oh, I'm not qualified, or oh, I don't have like, I don't have anything like that in my area before even looking because mm-hmm. like you just said, anybody could run for like council of your neighborhood or township or anything like that. Yeah. So assuming assuming that the resources don't exist is pretty
0: detrimental. And maybe even we could say cynical. It it really is. I was going to say assumption is kind of the opposite of curiosity, right? I mean, it goes mm. back to this. like, If I assume I know, I'm not going to go and find out. And, and particularly over the last few years, all these amazing organizations, Run For Something is is the big one. You know, Run For Something is specifically focused on recruiting people under 40 years old to run for office. And they're particularly looking for female identifying and LGBTQ and non-binary. They've got like 50 non they've got some astonishing number of non-binary people running for office right now, which really is exciting. Representation is so hugely important. Um, they are looking for people like you and they will help every step of the way. So uh, run for something, there's a great new organization called Democracy, which is actually LA based. And they find, again, they are looking for high school students. They find high school students and they mentor them um, and teach them. And a lot of the work they do is not even on the nuts and bolts of like, how do you run for office? But how do you stop thinking that you're not good enough to do things like this? Mm -hmm. How do you change that part of your brain that keeps telling you, don't do this, don't do it, it's too scary, you're not good enough. And that's the work that they do there. It's really a very cool organization started by two people I I really like and admire. Um, So there are incredible resources out there. There have never been so many good resources for young people, female-identifying people, LGBTQ people who want to run for office. Um, Obviously, the system we have in place now with old cis white men deciding all of our fates is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. It can't go on. So it's not um, working. Far it's not from... working. It, it is is so not working. It is enraging. It is uh terrible. And so but what we do need are people to have the courage to say, "Okay, I'm scared. I don't know what this is going to look like. I know it's going to be hard, and I'm willing to try." And I am willing to ask for help, which is the other huge part of anyone who accomplishes anything is is a person who is willing to ask for help because nobody does anything big by themselves, ever.
1: Absolutely. It it takes a village for whatever, whatever you want to accomplish. Yes. Um, I think part of why it's so scary is because it is voluntary, right? You voluntarily step up to the plate. You voluntarily take on that responsibility that you didn't necessarily have to, but you are going to be held accountable for. Yep. So when you do that, How do you take care of yourself? Right. We have three realms of education that we talk about on the Princess Project podcast for our equip section. Um, And the first level is the realm of the self. Right. The study of yourself. So mind, body, spirit. Um, How do you take care of yourself when you do when you are under sometimes extreme stresses or putting yourself out there
0: in a completely new way? Well, I haven't run for office other than running for my small, I did run for LA County um, Democratic Party, which actually was on the ballot, was on the, 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 the proper ballot. I was on the ballot with Elizabeth Warren, which I really enjoyed. Um, I mean, not obviously in the same race, but I was on sure. the same ballot. <laughs> anyway, um, I haven't experienced the stress of running really proper, running for office. And I know I know a lot of women who have done it or are doing it right now. It's really hard. It's hard. It's hard for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for female identifying people, it can be a little harder. You just get challenged on a lot of fronts that men probably don't. Um, but I know that there are certain things I do to take care of myself, even as I in operate in the activism world or the organizing world, or, you know, continue to sort of work in politics, which can be stressful and scary and all these things. Um, meditation, little tiny bit of meditation every day makes an enormous difference. Um, eating enough just silly things like that, eating enough, sleeping enough, taking care of the sort of physical plant as it were, you know, making sure that I'm taking breaks for lunch, drinking enough water, like dumb little things, but they really do make a difference. Like self-care does matter. Mm -hmm. Connecting with friends and loved ones, taking a break, putting the computer down, putting the phone down, getting off TikTok, getting off of all social media, walking over and being with a human being, cuddling with my kid on the couch, you know, hanging out with my husband, walking my dog, whatever. Those things are restorative in a way that very little else is. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't really haven't had a massage in like 3 years. I don't know, really don't have time honestly and then there was covid and like I feel like I would feel so guilty taking a day off to do that right now. But taking a walk with my dog I can do and I do it, you know, most mornings. Taking a walk with my kid at the end of the day like the human connection, the returning back to what is real and meaningful in my life right now—that mm. is hugely important. I think that when you're fighting for something, whether you're running for office because you want to fight for a better world, or you're doing what I do because you want to fight for a better world, you have to remember what you're fighting for. And then, at least for me, I have to remember to enjoy the thing I'm fighting for. Because if I'm fighting for my kids' future, which is basically that's my big why—you know, that's why I do this work—I'm fighting for my kid, and I'm fighting for every young person. But if I am never spending time with my kid I've kind of missed the memo you know what I mean like I okay. I gotta go back and make sure I'm also like being a mom and being present to my husband and, and being calling my mom you know whatever just being a human in the world and not letting this consume me because
1: mm-hmm.
0: this work whether you're going to run for office or do the activism this is a marathon not a sprint we're not going to like win an election and everything's going to be okay That is something I think a lot of us realized when we voted Trump out. It's like, oh, everyone thought everything would be okay after that. And it's still not. Mm -hmm. Because there are forces of good and evil that are kind of constantly at loggerheads. And some of us have to get in there and fight on the good side, maybe for the rest of our lives. Not all the time. But like.
1: That was one of my, my core memories is going to the Women's March. And that was the first time I ever. Oh, was that 20? That was 2016.
0: No, it was 2017. I think it was January 2017. Yeah,
1: that was the first time I ever went to a protest of any kind. And I me and my best friend were in the crowd and we stood behind these two ladies who looked to be about about probably like 60 ish between 60 and 70. And they were saying to each other, I can't believe we're still out here doing this. And the other one responded like, yeah, well, we'll do it again. (laughs) And yeah, it was so that was a totally transformative moment for me. And I think that was the moment because I just overheard these two ladies. I didn't know them. it wasn't part of their conversation. I think that was the moment for me when I really knew I was all in and I really wanted to learn about politics and things like that. Yeah because I definitely felt excluded from those conversations all growing up. I know that I did not know anything about politics or money because I was not including, included in those conversations as a woman, especially watching my two little brothers grow up and be included in those conversations while they're in high school.
0: Interesting. And knowing
1: that no one would have – no one did – ever talk to me like that about those subjects when i was their age
0: yeah you just made me think of that (laughs) yeah no it's a really good point and i i think that yeah we really have to i mean i could go down a whole wormhole about like beauty culture and all the things that sort of suck women into thinking about things that are like not genuinely that important and then we sort of forget i mean not all women and not all the time obviously but um yeah, men are given all this sort of like red meat, as it were, and we're sort of given some arugula and like, go play, you know? And (laughs) Yeah, we I do think it's changing. I think legitimately it is changing. But yes, we have to sort of decide like, you know what, I am a serious person. And I can make a difference. And I can educate myself. And I am just as smart as if not way smarter than almost all of the men around me. I mean, you know, which is just generally true. Like men are generally boneheads. I mean, I'm married <laughs> to one. I love my husband. Yeah, I mean, I love my husband. He's very smart. But like in general, women are just, you know, again, my my kid would have a problem with this conversation because they're non-binary. So they're like, what about me? Women assigned female at birth, birth people as well, female identifying people, anyone who's not a cis man is just kind of operating on a different level of awareness, I think. And and is just it emotionally have to be. more astute. Right. So and the good news about that is that when you are elected to office someday, Cassidy, you will be really good at it because you will be coming with all of your um, rounded your experience and your wisdom and your experience of having sixty thousand dollars in student debt. Like we need people in office who understand that.
1: Mm-hmm. We don't
0: have a lot of people in office who have student debt, although I believe Obama, the, the Obamas did. Um, some do, but most don't. We need people who come in young and know what it's like to be a young person in the 2020s. We need your exact experience. And that's what I tell everybody who's thinking of running for office. Oh, oh, I was homeless as a kid. Great, we need you in office. Oh, I had drug addiction for a while. Excellent, we need recovering addicts in office. Like we need all of it. One of my favorite politicians in Los Angeles, Mike Bonin, he is a recovering addict and lived on the streets for a long time. And he brought that experience to his office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think he did an extraordinary job. and And most progressives here really love him. Um so anyway, it was actually his kid, they those awful city council members were talking about. So, um, yeah, that story. We keep returning to that same story. But
1: anyway. hey, it's what's going on right now? Well, oh, and it's yeah. important to be talking about not only um the history, but also what is happening right now, which I feel like is a lot harder to. Grab onto educationally, um, especially with all the fake news, and we're like hyper vigilant of not trusting anything we see on the media or online. And that's another reason why I love your newsletter because I know that it is a trustworthy source. And um, I just, I just think it's think it's great. One more thing I really admire about you um, is your dedication to the planet the last realm of education that we talk about is the study of the world right and you always make a point to teach about environmental issues and how you relate to the planet and how that influences policy or like how it should influence policy so why is it so important do you think that we remember the planet in
0: our leadership? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's because we can't have leadership if we have no place to live. I mean, it's just basically keeping one's own house in order, right? I mean, we Mm -hmm. all want, we all need a home. We don't want our home to be on fire like that. It's not conducive to enjoying any other part of our lives. So I have a, my uncle Wallace Broker was actually the guy who coined the term uh, global warming. Um, he was a geologist and, and worked out of the Lamont laboratory, um, on the East coast. And he, he was a climate scientist before people were really talking about climate. And I say that just to say that I have been aware of climate change since really, really a long time ago, since I was quite young. Yeah. So, and and I got worried about it early and I got interested in being a climate activist early. So I phone banked for Al Gore when he ran for president. Like I've been, I've been on the climate change thing for a long time. Um, And it is an important issue. And it is one, again, where people tend to go to a place of despair. And so I like to remind people that while it is very scary, you know, there is also a lot of solution out there if we strive for it and if we work for it. And again, we can't get to that solution if everyone curls up in a ball and gives up. So Mm -hmm. it is really important to sort of remind people like this is to me is the most important work I do. Like if you if I had to choose a focus for the rest of my life for activism it would be it would be climate like that's my that is my number one issue i talk about all kinds of other stuff but that is my that's what brought me to activism and um we 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 need to sort of grapple with this great this is the great crisis of our lives but i also know that it's i know it's solvable i mean we can't solve every aspect of it we've left it very late but like we can tackle this and so I guess I find that I'm, I'm here partially as a climate activist to talk about things I do in my personal life, legislation that I think is important to get passed, lawmakers who are actually doing the deal and who we should be supporting. Um, and then the other part of it is just encouraging people not to give up. I mean, that's a lot of what I do in all of my work is mm-hmm. just trying to give people a bit of hope because hope is fuel. You know, once we have hope in us, we'll do more. And when we do more, we get more hope. Mm -hmm. you know fear does exactly the opposite fear and despair do the opposite they grind us to a halt and then we feel worse and then we don't move more and then we feel worse Mm -hmm. so um so uh, climate hope is important and um yeah how does
1: advocating for the planet alike or different to advocating for any of those other things or like anything else
0: I mean, it's all kind of part and parcel of the same thing, right? It's like respecting those around us and the stuff around us, um, having the sort of humility to see ourselves as a small part of a wider whole, which involves other people having different experiences, um, a world and an ecosystem that need different things, Um it all, I guess, has to do with balance and, uh, and, and a certain amount of equity, right? Equity everywhere, balance and equity in our ecosystems, balance and equity in our, you know, in our government, um, people all having sort of an equal chance to succeed and thrive and love who they want. Uh, It's all of a piece and everything, you know, I'll just close by saying, like, everything is so intersectional now, right? I mean, climate justice, is, you know, is involved with um democracy and voting rights. Like it's all intertwined. And that's the great beautiful thing I think so many of us have realized in the last few years. It's yeah. just like it's like a giant, what is that game called? Manga or, Jenga. Yeah. Jenga. It's like everything is piled on top of each other in such a, you know, the race stuff and the and the climate stuff and the you know the the women's issues and the violence and the misogyny, like it's all. It's all inter, in, intertwined. And so when you start working on one part of it, you kind of can't help but work on all of it. It, it all matters. Mm-hmm. It's all really important. There is all either love or greed. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we love, we love our planet. We love others enough to protect them from gun violence. We love people enough to help them eat and to pay their debts. and Or if we are greedy, then we're just taking what we want and not caring about anybody else. And that impacts everything, climate, gun violence, whether other people have enough, you know, college debt, all of it. So and the quality really, of your own life. Absolutely. You will be a miserable person pursuing that route. I mean, that is the great irony of these people who are so busy trying to get more of what they want is that it will never, ever make them happy. Right. Ever. Oh,
1: thank you so, so much. Um, it is just so wonderful to have you on the show. I used to think I was not qualified, and I was like, I have to wait until my show gets like uber, uber, uber crazy popular uh, before I should ever notice little old me. So I am so thankful for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: I'm just, I'm delighted. And I think uh, you seem like such a wonderful, incredible, valuable human being to have on the planet. I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing. Um you're wonderfully, wonderfully smart. And uh, you know, I love this podcast. I love everything you're doing. Um, and I'm sorry that it's hard right now. I do, I do urge you to uh to again don't quit before the miracle. If you keep doing what you're doing, you know, early early life is harder than later life. I'm so happy now. 54 is great. <laughs> Middle age is great. Um young being younger is harder, but it, it does get easier and it is uh it's great to be it's great to be a woman. It's great to be, you know, um, in the world at this moment. It is a very tough moment, but we were put here for a reason. And I trust that you will find your reason. And I, I know I have found mine. And I trust that anybody listening will find theirs as well, as long as they keep looking with goodwill and curiosity and a desire to serve other people. Really, that's what it all comes down to, right?
1: If people were curious about how to connect with you out in cyberspace, where could listeners find you?
0: that is an excellent question. Uh, Well, you know, I have a link tree, which is like, it's not a website, but it's kind of a place where all my stuff sits. And you can find that at bit.ly forward slash Jess page. So it's just bit.ly forward slash Jess page. And if you go there, you'll find, um, you know, a link to subscribe to my newsletter, you'll find my TikTok and my Instagram and all that stuff. So it's kind of a good way to find me in general. Um, I've also got a lot of ways on there you can get involved to try to help us win in in November and a bunch of other stuff as well. So um, and on social, I'm uh, at just Craven 101 um, on TikTok and Instagram. So that's uh, that that should do you just fine.
1: Lovely. Thank you so, so much
0: again. And I hope we get to meet in person very soon. I would absolutely love that. I hope that happens, too. And I hope I get to come back on your podcast sometime again. You're always welcome.
1: Oh, We're always you. welcome. Oh, my goodness. Okay.
0: Whenever you want, you're <laughs>
1: like, oh, I, I don't have anything to do. at night. hate Cassidy. What do you want to, do you want to
0: hang <laughs> out? Okay. I will bear it in mind. It's really fun talking to you. Your questions are great. So thank oh, you. Oh,
1: thank you. Jessica Craven, huh? What a leader. Am I right? She's someone that I so admire, and she was so gracious and so excited to come on the show. I can't believe we were able to connect like this. (laughs) If you've been watching the social media over the last week, I have been fangirling for days, and I am so happy that you finally get to hear the conversation, too. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Princess Project Podcast, Equip. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us connect with more leaders just like you. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode going into a deep dive of the final stage of the princess ship pathway. Inspire. What do you do the day after, Success. How do you ensure that the success you currently have can sustain you long-term? How do you actively inspire yourself to keep going? And until next week, we can continue the conversation over on social media at Princess Project Podcast or on our brand new website, princessprojectpodcast.com, where you can listen to all the episodes directly on the website, learn more about our guests, and connect with us online. Every time we sit down to do the podcast, I am just so grateful for the opportunity. And I'm so grateful for you. So thank you for being here. And until next time, go out there and live your royal life. Toodaloo!